Good morning, uh, at least it's morning here. I uh, don't know what it is where you're watching this, but it is a balmy 14 degrees outside in Monroe, Wisconsin, as I record this lesson, the next to last lesson in our study of Revelation. And so we're in chapter 21. We've just gone through chapter 20, which uh, proves to be fairly controversial in, in some interpretations, but I think we handled it pretty well. Chapter 21 is, uh, is some passages where we draw a lot of our concept of what heaven looks like because there's a glimpse given to us of heaven. And uh, we, we, we again have to proceed with caution because um, these things were not intended to be literal. They are figurative because there are things that you and I can't see. There are things that you and I can't know. We are human beings and we have limitations in our understanding and even in our physical ability. I mean, the, the, the frequency of sounds that we hear is limited. We've all, uh, if, you, if you're a dog person as I am, you have a dog and he's just sitting around and then all of a sudden he hears something. You don't know what it is, you can't hear it, but he can uh, because they hear different frequencies and, and God designed them that way because they need to be able to hear those things. Uh, for their own protection and their own uh, ability to, to survive. And the same is true with other animals. They can see things we can't see. We see a certain spectrum of light. Uh, we don't, we, there's things we don't see that are invisible to us. But that's because God created us to see and hear and understand certain things and other species to see and hear and understand certain things. But we are limited in our ability to understand heaven, what it looks like, uh, but we're given a glimpse in a way we can understand. So keep that in mind as we go through chapter 21, that this is being described to us in a way that we can understand. Uh, and so we have to leave it at that, at that spot. So let's, let's go to chapter 21. Remember in chapter 20 uh, or, or chapter 19 or earlier, we see a wedding is about to take place. We're setting up for a wedding uh, and it's the marriage of the lamb, Jesus Christ uh, and his bride is us, the church. We're getting ready to marry Jesus here. Uh, and so we're gonna see a description of this uh, and of what heaven looks like. Let's begin in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will uh, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Uh, this is a challenging passage to read. First of all, uh, it, it gives us a more clear description of the Bride of Christ. The Bride of Christ is this new kingdom, this new Jerusalem, this holy city. Well, it's not just a physical place or a city or a, even a nation. It is the kingdom of believers, okay? Uh, and we'll get to what that description looks like in a minute. But there is given here an announcement, a pronouncement, that God is going to dwell with his people. And that's important because that sets... Christianity apart from a lot of other world religions where the deity floats above the people and the subjects and asks them to come up to where uh, he or she is. In our case, God uh, desires to dwell with us uh, and his son 
Jesus, as the representation, the embodiment of that, did in fact dwell with us and continues to dwell with us. So what about this, uh, they're not going to suffer death and there'll be no mourning and pain and tears. We've all sung the old uh, hymn, No Tears in Heaven. Well, it doesn't say there won't be tears. It just says he'll wipe away the tears. So bear that in mind. But I, there is still suffering. And this is important to, to understand. If you go back to Genesis and you look at what, will, what God says will happen to Adam and Eve if they were to eat of the forbidden fruit. It says, if you eat of it, you will surely die. We need to understand that death, uh, as understood by the people of Scripture, the people in the Bible, Jewish people, death was the description of separation. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they didn't die immediately, um, but they did become separated from God by their sin. Death is a physical certainty for all of us. We understand death. Uh, we've, we've experienced that through others, through loved ones that we've lost, and we will all experience it one day. But death is described here in Scripture as a separation. Yes, Christian people will die. Sometimes they will have pain, sometimes they will mourn, and sometimes they will have tears. This is not the revelator telling us that uh, God has now announced those things no longer exist. No, they do. It's just that when we suffer them, we don't suffer them alone. This is a pronouncement that God will be joining us. He will be dwelling with us, in us, through us, and around us through Christ. And when we receive the benefits of that dwelling, we are, we, we are moved into a new form of life, though we still exist in this physical realm. We see something beyond, and God is with us. And God is, is on that journey as we suffer those things. So um, this is not a promise that there will be no pain and suffering for Christians. There certainly will be. And that's reminded uh, to us in, in Revelation when the author talks about the destruction of Babylon or the destruction of Rome and the punishment for the enemies of God. There's still going to be some suffering. There's still going to be hardship. This is a human existence. But we no longer suffer it alone. We suffer it with Jesus, uh, and we look forward to something greater. And in this new city, there will be peace, and that's what we're pressing on toward. <clears throat> um, now, I want you to listen to verse 5, okay? And listen to the, the, the tense of the verbs. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne, God, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Ah, I am making all things new. There's a word of process there. Making. It's ongoing. And yet, it's been done. What we're seeing is not a glimpse into the future. Keep that in mind. We are not looking at a glimpse into the future. We are looking at the future and the present and the past. See, God doesn't work in our definition of time. So when we read words like making, that means he's working on it. But it's already there. You see, the revelator is seeing it as a finished fact, and it is a process because we live this life in process. But uh, don't get hung up on the verbiage there because we have to understand that things that are happening have happened and will happen, and it's all at the same time because that's how God works. This is a finished fact, even while it is still a process in our life. But God is making all things new. He's doing away with 
the, 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 the parameters in which we live this life, the pain, the suffering, the death, the separation. No, we're going to have something new, a new heaven, a new earth, a new life, a new existence, and a new experience with God dwelling among us. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. See, it is done, but I'm making. So it's all happening. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So there is a city that is being prepared or has been prepared that exists a new home for us as the bride of Christ and as children of God, as he refers to us. And the inheritance of those who are faithful is sonship. It is a heritage. It is an adoption into this family. And those who are faithless, those who turn and reject God, will not receive that inheritance. They will suffer separation. They will suffer death. They will suffer the the sulfur and the fire and the burning. Verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the last seven plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We're going to go see the city now. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out out of heaven from God. This is an amazing scene. This is a beautiful, dramatic scene. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. All right, I want to stop here because we're going to get several verses, maybe about 10 verses or so, of description. And I want you to bear in mind that we are not being literal. Um, There's going to be listed uh, some descriptions of the foundations and the walls and the measurements of the city. We're going to try to understand those the way the reader would understand, okay? And again, the, the, read, the original reader would have had a knowledge of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Nahum and other places where the, this kind of language was used. So they understand what they're, what they're getting at and what they're learning here. <clears throat> okay, so, but, but don't, don't try to make it literal. This is what heaven is supposed to look like. Because there's also listed uh, descriptions of the materials that the walls are made of and that the foundation is made of. And that description, by the way, when we translated this, we kind of guessed at some of those things. There's not a lot of ancient writing about these precious gems and jewels and what have you, so we kind of guessed at them, all right? So it's not, there's not literally necessarily jasper and gold and all of that. Translators have guessed at what, what gems they're referring to. The point is, it's beautiful. It's beyond anything we understand. All right, so let's, let's get into this. Um, So clear as crystal, right? Verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. So we have three gates on each side of of, of the four walls, and they have the names of the 12 tribes. So does this mean Asher, Benjamin, Dan? Okay, 
if you read the lists of the tribes in the Bible, sometimes there's as few as 10 listed and sometimes there's as many as 16. It's not a literal number. It 12 is the number of, of God. It is the number of, it's all that belongs to God. It's everything. It's, it's the perfect number, perfect amount, okay? So they use 12 to describe the people of God. The 12 tribes are all the people of God, but this is a number that's meaningful and it reflects something for those reading it. So it just means that this kingdom is made up of God's people and that's reflected in its construction, okay? Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb, right? The 12 apostles except there was a 13th in Matthias, and there's also many others, Paul, Barnabas, James, uh, Jesus himself, Junia perhaps, others that are referenced as apostles or, or people sent out, which is what apostle means. So again, it's not a literal 12 apostles, but that number is important. It is all of them. It's, it's the completeness and the fullness of God's messengers and apostles. <clears throat> Verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, meaning it's, it's square, okay? And, and its length, the description here is, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. All right, so we have what we would understand as a cube, the same width, same height, same length and it's 12,000 stadia. What is a stadia? What is 12? Well, they didn't have a number bigger than a thousand, right? And so when they said a thousand, it just meant the biggest thing you've ever seen. And they would simply multiply by thousands to make points with numbers and describe concepts. 12, the fullness of God's uh, purpose and people. Okay, so 12 being the fullness of God, of godliness, and thousand being the most you've ever seen. So it is, it's huge because it's got to hold all of God's people. And that's the point here. It's described as very, very big. Now we see the road to heaven described as a narrow road that few will find, and that is true. But, the, but we also see that God wants everyone to be saved, and he's probably going to save more people than we expect because he's built a city big enough to hold them all. So 12,000 stadia, length, width, height, also equal. Verse 17, he also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Okay, 144 cubits thick. The wall is 12 times 12. All right, it's the fullness of God uh, in this construction. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Here we go. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third gate, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates was made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. This sounds like every classic description we've ever heard of heaven. Pearly gates, streets made of gold adorned with fine jewels, etc., etc. Folks, don't try to make more of this than it is. This just, again, we're guessing at a lot of the names of these gems here, and some of them we've never even heard of. But it's, it's more beautiful than anything you've ever seen. 
It's finer and richer and more uh, elaborate and ornate than anything you've ever seen. It's bigger and more grand than what we can even comprehend. Remember, Paul even says, he writes, I've seen things that I, it's not lawful for a man to discuss. Daniel, things were revealed to him that he was not allowed to write down. Even the revelator John was told, don't write down some of the things you see. It's being described to us in a way we can understand to help us know that heaven is a beautiful, glorious place. Now, this is important. Get these last few verses. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who, do, who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. A new home has been built, a new city, a new kingdom where we will dwell, and it is beautiful and grander than anything we've ever seen. It's bigger and more elaborate, and in it dwells God, and he gives light, and those who are faithful will enter, and those who are not will be separated. But notice this, there's no temple. We don't need a temple anymore. The temple is where is God dwelling in us. We are the temple, and we are to reflect his glory. There is no longer a place where we must go and meet where God can dwell and we can interact with him. He's all around us all the time. What a beautiful picture of heaven this is. And again, don't get hung up in the literal descriptions here. Just understand the concept that God wants us to know and to see that heaven is waiting, it is ready, and, it, and we have entrance into it through the blood of Christ. We are entering into a marriage covenant with Christ, and this home is where we will dwell with him and with God. No need for a temple, no need for a physical building. God lives with us, in us, through us, and around us. Thank you so much for your time. We've got one more lesson in Revelation to go, so stay tuned. Look forward to seeing you then.